Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. I love sharing Torah thoughts, ideas, and messages in all of its wonderful parts and facets. Baruch Hashem, today this is easier than ever before. Please enjoy the following class and the rest of them on my podcast. And follow in order to receive updates daily. Also, please feel free to share this podcast with your friends, family, and neighbors so they could enjoy as well. Now let's move on and learn and grow together. Today's daf, Mesechus Gitin, is daf Yud Aleph. We have two sections primarily in today's daf. <coughs> the first section we're going to deal with is a continuum from yesterday discussing the Machlekes Rabbi Shimon and the Chachamim regarding signatures in documents that are not Jewish signatures and if the documents are able to be acceptable. The second section, that will tie into a couple of Shilas towards the end of that sugya. The second is the new Mishnah, which will deal with the fourth similarity between Gitei Nashim and Shechuri Avadim, which is the opinion of Reb Meir, the capacity to retract when it's sent through a shliach, and uh, this will lead us into a discussion about Chavin La'adam, uh, if you're allowed to be at Taifas Labal Chayv, the Makam Shechav La'acherim, if you're Kane or not. So let's get started here. We're holding Tanya Amr Velazar Brav Yaisi, about a third of the way down the page. So the Brisa says, Tanya Amr Velazar Brav Yaisi. Velazar Brav Yaisi said the following, Kach Amr Rabbi Shimon L'Chachamim B'Tzidon. Rabbi Shimon wanted to support his contention that we made, yet, made yesterday. That even regarding Gitin, there is the capacity for non-Jewish signatures inside of Gitin to be effective. And if you remember, we said yesterday, that's because he says in the first answer of the Gemara, when the Shemus move Hakin, there's not an issue if you go with the opinion of Rabbi Lazar that Karti, that you'll rely on them. You don't have to say Mizuyaf Mitoichai. So Rabbi Shimon wants to support his opinion. He says like this to the Chachamim. The earlier generation of Rabbi Kiva and the Chachamim did not argue regarding all documents. All documents means as long as they're processed in non-Jewish courts and they have Shemas Mufakim, even if the signatures are not Jewish, they are acceptable. Again, it's where there's Shemas uh, Mufakim specifically because then you won't confuse this and think you could rely on it as the Eid of Mesira. Even for the only debate Rabbi Akiva and Chachamim, the earlier generation, was if these documents are done by simple people, not by professional judges where their reputation is on the line. Rabbi Akiva and this is talking about Rabbi Akiva would say that it's kosher, and the Chachamim would say that it's invalid. So now again. We're talking about whether Shemas Mufakim of Shar Shtaris. So there's a machlaikis then between Rabbi Akiva and the Chachamim. If it's done by a hedjait, according to Rabbi Akiva, it's still kosher. Though according to the Chachamim, though, it would be invalid. The Chacham would say, Rabbi Akiva would say it's kosher because as long as it's Shemas Mufakim, it's not a problem. The Chacham say you don't have the reputation because it's hedjaitis. However, that does not include that so long. As you have Edi Mesira who are Yisrael, Jewish Edi Mesira that are witnessing the incident, and so again, it would be acceptable, meaning the debate is only that the Chacham would say it's possible, we're talking about where it's done Behedyot. 
But even if it's for, for Sharshtaris, but if it's done, Behejit, for Gitei Nashim, Shechori Avadim, as long as there's Edei Mesira, and again, you had Shemas Mufakim, which means there were definite non-Jewish names, everybody agrees that the Edei Mesira that are Jewish are able to effectively have these Gitei Nashim, Shechori Avadim work, and the fact that there's, uh, the, the court is Hedjaitis, um, and they're signed the signatures of Goyim, it doesn't make a difference because you're not going to rely on those signatures because the um, because the name because the names are clearly Shemus Mufakin of Goyim, no one's gonna rely on them. Rashi just throws in over here in regards to Sharstaris. Um Rashi says like this the Kivan Shinasu Stari Mecher de Kaimi so they're relying on the on the goyim. So the chachamim would say in that case, by shar is essentially what you're trying to do is rely on the document for its effectivity. That would be puzzle, because we don't know if they did it right. But gitei nashim, we're not relying on them, rather on the edi misira, because we say edi misira karti like Rabbi Lazar, which is Rabbi Shimon's opinion is, and therefore you could rely on them. Again, and there's no psul of mezuyif meitaycha because it's shemus mufakim. Now Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel qualifies and limits this. Extent that we can be make it like this. This would only be kosher, means gitin to have non Jewish signatures, even Shemas Muvhakin would only be kosher in a place where they don't allow the Jews to sign within their own gitin. So in such a place, everybody knows that the signatures are done by Goyim, and therefore you can't rely on those for Ede Misira. But if it's a place where Jews are allowed to sign in their own documents, in their own gitin, so then you would not be allowed, says Rav Shem Megamliel, to rely on non-Jewish signatures for validity, because people might mistake in them with Jewish signatures and rely on those edim in the future for edim Mesira purposes. Now, Rashi understands is that, sorry, I said that a little wrong, let me clarify that. Rashi understands, because if it's a place where Jewish people can sign, even though these are Shemais Mufakin, you're not going to rely on them. If you use these to sign, you might end up relying on Shemais She'enon Mufakin, meaning names that are not uniquely not Jewish names, and then you might rely on those non-Jews as Eri uh, Mesira. So that's the issue over here, because those won't be as distinct. Asks the Gemara, Makom Shein Yisrael Nami, why are you saying where Jews are not allowed to sign, it's acceptable? You should also or make a gezera at to Makom Shein Yisrael meaning you should make a gezera that if non, if you're not allowed to have non-Jewish signatures in a place where Jewish people are allowed to sign, so even a place where Jewish people are not allowed to sign, there should also be a gezera not to use these Shemas Muvhakin of Goyim. So the Gemara answer is no, there are two different types of gezeras. Shema b'shema machlif. To make a mistake that you might make if you if you allow uh, non-Jewish signatures that are Shemus Mupakin in a place where Jews are not allowed to sign. So there, or, excuse me, where Jews are allowed to sign, right. There you can make a mistake to think that you can also use Shemus She'en and Mupakin, <coughs> and that could lead to an issue. But Astra ba'astra le'mechlif. But different places, we're not going to get confused. So meaning to say that if there's a place that Jews are not allowed to sign, and you're allowed to use Shemus Mufakin there, we're not going to think that a place where Jews are allowed to sign, you could also use Shemus Mufakin of Goyim. Because you don't confuse places, but you could confuse Shemus Mufakin with Shemus Sheinan Mufakin. Continues the Gemara. Now, I have a couple of practical psakim based on this, this Gemara. So Ravina Savar, Lachshure Biknufiasa Daramoi. Ravina thought that they could be machshir, general gitin, that were not written in Erkois of the Arameans. means there was these Aramean chevra that were not Jewish, <coughs> and it was written and processed 
and signed by Goyim. So he thought that you could accept this. No, there was only an allowance, as we taught in the Mishnah, when it's the non-Jewish courts. And there was a specific leniency regarding the courts, as they don't want to ruin their reputation, etc. But general hegeitis, it wouldn't be acceptable. Amarava continues, If you have a document that's written in Persian, and Rashi says it was processed there and signed by uh, non-Jews, that's the point. But Rashi learns it's Parsiyam Hedyoitis, meaning Persian non-Jews that are not judges necessarily. But it was given over in front of Jewish witnesses. So if there's a Jewish lender and borrower in this case, the, or, right, the halacha is the lender could collect from B'nai Chayrin, which means only properties that the borrower has still in his possession, not things that he sold off. Now, usually, if you have a properly done document, you can collect even from Meshuah Badim, things that the borrower sold off after the time of the loan. But in this case, these, these documents that are done by the Persians, signed and processed, by the non-Jewish Persian, written in Persian, only from B'nai Chayrin, that which the borrower still possesses. Ask the Gemara, how can you say altogether it's effective? The problem is, firstly, the Edi Mesira might have seen it being given over, but they don't know what it says because they don't know Persian. No, they know what it says. So they knew what it says, they know what to testify about. The Jewish documents need to be done in a way that cannot be forged. And in order to accomplish that, they would darken the cloth first with gallnut juice, with this special potion, so that if you would change the words, they would see erasure marks. Well, the Persians didn't do that, so how could it be an acceptable document altogether? So the answer is bidafit, so no, they treated it with that as well. But we need another halacha, which is that you need to put the fine print, all the details, in the last line. That's something that Jewish contracts require for them to be effective. Aleka, the Persians wouldn't do that. So the Gemara said, they did that as well. They retract, they went over the fine details at the end. So the Gemara asks, if that's true, it comes out that this contract was done entirely properly. L'chari, you should even be allowed to collect from regular Meshua Badim, even things that the borrower sold off after the time of the loan. So the Gemara answers, less like Kala. No. As long as the signatures in the document are not Jewish, it's true the document could be kosher to collect from B'nai Chayrin, but it doesn't spread the news of this transaction like it would spread if you had Jewish people signed inside of it. And therefore, you can't collect from Mishu Abadim, you can only collect from B'nai Chayrin. Okay, now I have two versions of a conversation between Rishlakish and Rabbi Yechanan. Ba'aminei, Rishlakish and Rabbi Yechanan. Rishlakish asked the following Shaila from Rabbi Yechanan. Turn to your Aleph on base. Eidem achasumen al get. If you have... Signatures in a document. Rashi learns this is a document in Eretz Yisrael. Now, the names resemble that of non-Jewish people's names. We don't know, though, says Rashi. We don't know if it was non-Jewish people's names or Jewish people's names. So, Mahu, could you rely, Rashi says, on the Ede Mesira that were Jewish, that the document was passed in front of, in order to validate this get <coughs> or not? Amar Lei, sorry, Rabbi Yechanan said, The only names that we know that we can rely on are Lucas and Lus, which are non-Jewish names, and those came in front of us, and we accepted those kinds of names that are signed in the Get. But Rabbi Yechanan clarified, Specifically those names, 
because Jewish people don't use those names. Those are Shemus Muvhakin. Those are specifically non-Jewish names. So therefore, obviously, we're going to rely on the Ede Mesira, and we're not going to have an issue later of using of Mezuyaf of, Mitoichai of, and rely on them as Ede Mesira later. Avol Shmahasa Acharini, but other names, Dishchichi Yisrael Damaski Sayu, that perhaps Jews may use sometimes, Loi. So those, perhaps you would not be allowed to use, rely on such a document, because those are not Shemus Mufhakin. Being that they're not Shemus Mufhakin, those are names that could pass maybe as Jewish names. We don't know, it's not clear. And therefore, you cannot rely then on the Ede Mesira in this case, because being Machshir, this type of get, might lead to relying on Adim that are non-Jews, essentially, later at a different point. Asks the Gemara in Rabbi Yechanan, Asks the Gemara Kasha from Abraisa, Tesefta, the Tesefta says, If Gittin come from overseas, And there's witnesses who are signed on them. Even though the names that are signed on them are similar to that of Goyim, Rashi learns, even without Edim Mesira Yisrael, Ksheir in these documents are acceptable. And the Brayse says, Because most of the Jews in Chutzel Aretz have names like that of Goyim, like Bob, Richard, and Charles. The point is, is that those are names that are not Jewish names. But since most Jews have not Jewish names in Chutzel Aretz, you could assume that that's actually a kosher get, just up to the signatures, even without Edim Mesira necessarily. So asks the Gemara, you see Lechaira, it's not Dafka when it comes to names that are Shemus Mufak and Dafka, known names of non-Jews, that you can rely on such a document, but even when they're names that are that resemble those names of Goyim. So the Gemara says, that's not a kasha. Ha'asim The b'risa illustrates the reason it's different than when it comes from chutz l'aretz. In the Yisrael v'Yisrael shebechutz l'aretz, m'asein kishemus v'kechavim. Because most of the Jews in chutz l'aretz have names like that of Goyim. So it's safe to assume that the names signed inside are actually Jewish people. But in Eretz Yisrael, where they don't have those names, so there's this shaila now, if those were Jewish people or not Jewish people. So where there's shemus muvhakin, you know you're not going to end up relying on them later. It's not a problem. But when it comes to shemus that are not muvhakin, non-Jewish names, you might end up relying on them later, which would create an issue for Edim Mesir at a later point, and therefore you wouldn't be allowed to use that. There's another version of this conversation. Actually, the Shailah Ishlakish asked was the same as the Brisa, meaning the Shailah asked was if Gittin come from overseas and the names resemble those of Goyim, are those Gittin allowed to be relied upon? And as we learned in the Brisa, even without Edim Mesir, and it was resolved from the Brisa that uh, you could rely on them because the Brisa says very clearly in Chutzel Aretz, a lot of the, most of the Jews have non-Jewish names. You could assume that those are actually Jewish people signed inside of it. Moving on now to the new subject of the day, which is the Mishnah tells us the four similarity between Gitei Nashim and Shechrurei Avadim. If a person, a husband, sends a wife in the hands of a shliach to his wife, and he says, give it to my wife, or a document of, of uh, freedom to his slave. Rimer says, even though he's given it to the shaliach already, he can still retract by both. The Chacham disagree, and they say, you could retract regarding documents of divorce, not by the freeing of slave documents. And Rav explains, because regarding the slave, it's a zechus. And the moment you give it over, it's a merit for the slave to go free. And therefore, the moment he gives it to the shaliach, the shaliach is mezakeh, the Evid, even though the Evid hasn't appointed him as a shliach. 
and therefore the, the master cannot retract. But to create a negative effect is only able to be done in their presence, which means he can't act as a full-fledged shliach for the Isha because it's a negative thing for her to be divorced, so for him to retract on that would be possible as it's not yet effective preventing him from retraction. And why is that true, that it's a, it's a schus for the Eved, a, a demerit for the woman? Because in halacha, if he wants to not feed his slave, rashai, he could do that. But not to feed his wife, he's not allowed. So you see clearly marriage for her is beneficial. For the slave, is not necessarily beneficial to remain as a slave. But if he's a kaya, now he invalidates the slave from eating truma, just like he invalidates his wife when he divorces her. So the Gemara says, as a mayor, you see it's a demerit for both, and he should be allowed to retract for both. The Chacham say back, that's not really a demerit. Rather, the reason he's allowed to do that, and he, de- he, de- he causes the slave to be unable to eat truma, is he's only allowed to eat truma when he's Kenyan Kaspa, when he owns the guy, and it's considered his property. Once he frees him, he's no longer his property. The Gemara will explain exactly what this response is, but the bottom line, the Chacham are saying, it's not considered a, a positive thing for the slave to go free. Um, excuse me, it's not considered a... Uh, positive thing. You're trying to say, Reb Meir, that it's considered a negative thing for the slave to go free and you should be allowed to retract, but we're saying, say the Chachamim, that that idea of truma is not necessarily a negative thing, and therefore you could retract regarding the slave, you cannot retract regarding, you could retract regarding the slave, sorry, you cannot retract regarding the slave, but you could retract regarding the get isha, because the get isha is considered a negativity for the woman, the uh, the, the slave is considered a positive thing, so you can no longer retract. Fine. Says the Gemara, Yosef Rav Huna, Rav Yitzchak Bar Yosef, Kamej Rav Yermia. So these two Chacham were sitting in front of Rav Yermia. Yosef Rav Yermia became a Rav Yermia was sitting and he was dozing off. Yosef Rav Huna became Rav Huna sat and he started to say the following deduction. Shmami Nami Drabanan. We could derive from the opinion of the Rabbanan in the Mishnah who say that when the husband gives a get uh, when the sorry the master gives a get to a shliach to deliver to his eved, the master can no longer retract. So we could deduce from that that if somebody Reuben owes Shimon money, and uh, Yankel from the shuk walks in and he takes money away from Reuven for the sake of Shimon, so that would work. It would be acquired as an automatic shliach for Shimon. Would this even be in a place where it would cause detriment to a third party? I.e., if Reuven owed Levi money as well, and by, by taking it, Yankel taking it for Shimon, it would be not taking it away from Levi, would that also be effective? So Amr in. Rav Huna said back, yes. Now, what's the deduction for this? Because you see, this is Rav Svara, that the Shliach here disallows the master from retracting regarding his slave. Now that's a chavla acherem because that causes the master to forfeit his slave. And yet he's able to be mezake the slave in his freedom. The shliach is able to accomplish that. So you see you can take something when it causes detriment to somebody else and be mezake that party, in this case Shimon or the slave, albeit that it's damaging somebody else. So, uh, so Adahaki, the Gemara tells us as they were speaking, Itar Bahur Rabbi Yermi, woke up. 
Amr Lu, so he turned to them, he had overheard what they were saying. And he said, Dardiki, children. He said, First of all, if somebody grabs money for a balchay, for, for somebody who is owed money, in a place that it causes detriment to a third party, it's not effective. The Imtimer Mishnah Senu. Ah, you'll ask me in our Mishnah, you see, it's causing detriment to the master, and the Shliat disallows the master from retracting. So the answer to that is, when the master said, give it, it's like he said you should merit for him. It's not that the shliach on his own initiative is able to take advantage of this situation and have this slave go free. The pshat is the master made him into a shliach to be mezakeh the slave. So he appointed him for this task. But in a scenario where Uvin owes Shimon money and he also owes Levi money, Yankel can't walk up and grab money and then be mezake it to, to Shimon if that's going to, de- to cause detriment to Levi because nobody appointed him for such a task. So to take initiative, you don't have any raya for. Where the master, or if perhaps the lender, or the, the borrower, excuse me, appoints somebody to be mezake somebody else, yeah, in a that might work, but that's only because he was appointed. Because Tanu is like zechudami. Rav Chizda tries to say this is actually contingent on a machlekes in Meseches Peya between Rav Lazar and the Rabbana. The Mishnah in Meseches Peya says like this: So you have a balabayis. He owns a field and he has peya in his field, and then he goes into his field and he gathers up his peya. and he says, I want this peya that I collected for this specific ani poor person named Yankel. So Rabbi Lezer says that it actually is effective and that Ani owns it. It's not able to be mezakeh to that Ani. Rather, he has to give it to the first uh, poor person that he encounters. So the Gemara is trying to say like this. Perhaps it's the same point of debate. Rabbi Lezer says it's going to be Chav because all the other poor people now forfeited and yet the owner, the usher, the Balabayas is able to be mezakeh to that specific ani. So you see, is effective. And the Chacham disagree. They say, no, you can't take it away from the other poor people because Magam Shechav is not effective. So Amar Amemar, Yitamar of Papa, Samemar, and some say of Papa say, Dilmalahi, turning to Yabez Medalif. Perhaps you can't make this cross comparison. Kazadkan, like Amar of Eliezer, Hasm Eliezer only says in that mission in Peya that he's able to be Mazaka to the ani. Eladamigu, because there's a there's an inf, there's a logical conclusion why you should be allowed to. What's the migu? Because if he wanted, he can be mafkir all of his property. It means the homeowner. And then he'll be a poor person, and he'll be able to collect the payah for himself. And since he'd be able to then collect it for himself, so he could be mezaket to his friend. But in general case of debts, that debt that's owed to Shimon, for example, has nothing to do with you. You can't take on that debt somehow or absorb that debt. You can't collect it for yourself. So lie. So then maybe Rabbi Eliezer would say, even though by pay I agree, I hold that the homeowner could be mezakeh to a specific poor person, regarding the halachas of general debts, you shouldn't be allowed to. And the other way too, like Amri Rabbanon, the Rabbanon only say regarding Peah, Hasam, that it's not effective. Now the real full Pasuk reads, we're chopping the Pasuk up, it really says, don't collect the corners of the, the, the leket of your field. Leave them to the poor people. But we're putting the words, so the way that Rabbanon could expound the Pasuk is, 
don't collect it for the Ani. It means you're not allowed to do that. You don't have the ability to do that as the homeowner. In regards to debts, maybe you could be mezakeh to another person by debts. And therefore, it's not necessarily, the Rabbanu would say in general, it's ineffective. Now the Gemara just wonders, what does Rabbi Yezer learn from that Pasuk? Gemara answers, So Rashi learns over here, if an Ani, who himself is able to collect matnas aniyim, also happens to have a field. I guess it's not that much because otherwise Lachari shouldn't be able to collect matnas aniyim. He is also responsible. The way we darshan the Pasuk is, la'ani an al-shaloi, means even on his own property, he has to make sure to uh, collect, uh, to, to remove and set aside peya, leket shikha peya for the other aniyim. As Rashi says here, he has to leave over the matnas aniyim as are necessary. That's what he derives from the Pasuk. means he can't take away the parts of the field that are for other poor people. As long as he has a field, he has to leave it for the other poor people. Okay, we're going to st- stop here at the top of Yudbez Mudalaf. We'll pick up with Yudbez tomorrow. Everybody have a wonderful day.